My name is Ben Beard, and I own Redcliffe Homes in Las Cruces, New Mexico. I'm searching for the top tips and tricks of the trade from experts in the construction industry. Welcome to the Ben Beard Show. Our guest today is Tracy Dorfelt with Nationwide Contractors Alliance, NWC Alliance, out of Olympia, Washington. Tracy, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Ben. So thanks for coming on. I, I'm excited to learn more about your business. I know you're not a contractor, but you're servicing the construction industry. Is that right? Absolutely. No, I've been working with the construction industry as an insurance and risk management professional since 1989. And uh, I know that we're on Zoom and I look at least five years older than that. But hey, you know, I, tr- I do what I can. Um, when people ask me, Ben, what industry I, I'm a part of, I do talk about residential construction uh, and I talk about residential construction risk management. So it's not like I do anything else. I, I We don't do auto dealers. I don't mess around with stores or personal lines. All I do is insurance and risk management, risk management strategies and education for residential construction, some commercial, but my involvement with the National Association of Home Builders, which we share, because uh, we met on the NEHB Connect, uh, has been a big influence in the last uh, half of my career and where we go, where we focus, uh, where we recognize the problems that there are to solve and then go about solving them. Okay. So when you say risk management, I've only ever heard that term really associated with resident, uh, with commercial and industrial construction. What does that mean on a residential construction level? That I'm just really safety glad you... education or? Oh, absolutely. Think of three components uh, of a stool, three legs of a stool. Um, there's a risk you don't want to insure. We transfer those. That's called commercial insurance, right? Work comp, general liability, auto, that kind of stuff. You, you guys don't want to put a million dollars in a bank waiting for an accident, right? So then there's things you can do to minimize the possibility of that risk or minimize the risk itself. And what I mean by that is risk is two things, frequency and severity, right? And so automobiles, for example, pretty high frequency, pretty high severity, right? You have accidents, if you have a fleet, you're gonna have one or two accidents, it happens. How big that accident is, uh, is also up to you. And you can use tools, both education and services to prevent it from ever happening or minimize the size of the problem when it does happen. And so insurance, services, and education are the three vital components to risk management. Okay. So insurance, eliminate the risk, or rather push it to somebody else, but eliminate it for myself. Right. Minim- minimize the risk through education, uh, minimize the risk by safety and then education. Yeah. Yeah. There's safety services. And then there's people who take it in house. If you take it in house, you're going to, for example, be, uh, you know, 10 hour OSHA certified, likely somebody and, and try to figure out how to uh, implement that uh, in line with your business model. On the other hand, some people uh, will just hire it out and rely on a vendor. Um, for example, we do something called trades tracking. A lot of home mm-hmm. builders get certificates and um, you know, they call it cert tracking. Well, that's great from an audit point of view. Uh, where you fall down a little bit is when you have the claim that HVAC uh, contractor may not turn it into his insurance company or her insurance company, even though they're contractually required to. 
And that can be problematic if you don't have a full policy, if you don't know their full policies, uh, cover the kind of claim that they had, and that you were truly named as an additional insured. If you do it correctly, the subcontractor, assuming you have a valid subcontract that requires it, really doesn't have a choice because a company like mine will just turn it into their insurance company and then let them know. So there's different kinds of things you can do that really shift risk or transfer risk or provide services that you're not buying the insurance, but you're making sure that other people's insurance is responsive. OSHA safety is another area you brought up. Absolutely. Um, you can both uh, minimize the possibility of an OSHA inspection or safety problems and reduce your work comp premiums also, by the way. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you can be prepared for when you have a claim. Uh, just now, the entire insurance industry is waking up to what's called claims readiness. I did a, um, a video with Alan Banks uh, for the Construction Health and Safety Committee at NEHB called Work Comp Gone Wild. So we poked a little fun <laughs> at it, but uh, it's a good video. You can look at it up on the NEHB website, but it really talks about how to reduce your work comp costs and minimize your OSHA exposure. But that's, again, services and education. Mm -hmm. Um, Despite what a local agent might say, many of them don't, but some of them might say insurance is the cure-all. Builders are builders and insurance people are insurance people. Just keep it separate. I think a lot of home builders and a lot of their trades are figuring out they need to learn more um, about insurance. And you may not go off and get a license. You may not want to go and buy your own insurance uh, through carriers you you form an agency with or anything of that sort. That's a bit in-depth. But if you don't know the right questions to ask, you may not get the right answers. And so part of my mission is to make sure that you as builders, uh, the developers and the contractors and your agents all have uh, 101, 201 level resources that you can get to that will help you know the right questions all together, get on the same page and, and have the right risk management strategy and, and the right insurance. Okay. Yeah, that's great. I mean, as a new business owner, I knew nothing about insurance. I just knew, you know, when I got my contractor's license, the state said you have to get workers comp, even though I didn't have any employees at that point. It was just me, but they said, you got to get a, comp, uh, a policy. And by the way, you, the insurance guy said, you can't even make a claim on your own policy. So I was like, great. There's, there's money I just got to spend for nothing. But, wow. Um, okay. Oh, that's interesting. We, we do a course at the, you know, the SireLearning.com I mentioned earlier, C-I-R-E Learning. It's a construction insurance risk education. We have a course on work comp and it talks about ghost policies, okay, which is kind of what you may have bought or you're paying money, but you're not going to get anything. Yeah. And um, you can opt in with some carriers. I don't know about New Mexico, but... Um, some carriers you can opt in as an owner and you could get benefits. It varies by what the carrier allows. The thing I always tell people is watch out for one or two person trades, whether they're sole proprietors or partners who opt yeah. out and furnish you with a certificate. Then, you, then it's a stack of cards. No one's going to end up paying and you might have to out of pocket. It, it can be tough. Yeah. So. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's interesting because, like I was saying, as a new business owner, I just didn't know anything about risk management. I knew I had to be, had to enforce safety on the job site and 
I know, you know, I had an OSHA 30 card that I think has long, I'd probably, but even at that time, long since expired, but I had it at least, you know, I knew the, had the information in my head somewhat of mm-hmm. what we needed to do on site. I'd been through a couple of OSHA inspections as a superintendent. Um, so I had a little bit of knowledge there, but I, it was just kind of, I don't know, I called the insurance guy and said, hey, man, help me out. I need a policy. What do I do here? And But I had no idea what questions to ask, what what things I needed to make sure were covered or not covered. I read it, and, it, you know, I tried to understand it, but I, you no know, training or background in it, that's tough to know. Well, I wish, um, and again, you heard of risk management in the construction industries are more commercial or industrial. And again, it's a personal mission of mine to bring the hay down where the, us residential goats can eat it, right? Yeah. And, and it does include ins- educating the insurance agents as well. Um, uh, you may or may not know, like a realtor, insurance agents have to get continuing education credits. Mm-hmm. I partnered with a firm called BMFCE, cute little firm called Bison Mountain Financial Continuing Education. So bmfce.com later this month in July 21 is launching the whole platform for roughly half the country and will implement gradually much of the rest of the country where your agent can learn to speak English a little bit because the whole whole course is like what we're doing. We're recording it and just talking plain English. Yeah. Um, I, I don't believe I've said anything you didn't understand so far, right? Can you imagine an insurance course about 26 hours of material where it's just plain English and you're able to listen on, on the way to the job site in your truck and learn something about yeah. insurance? I mean, I just had a tooth pulled and I, I'd still rather do the job site and the radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, but your insurance agents, some insurance agents are very good at this and they won't learn much from such a course, I suppose. But um, in my experience doing this for 30 years and more than 10 years on a wholesale program basis, that means I don't talk to builders about insurance. I only talk to their agents. I have found that many, many agents always have something to learn about construction insurance. It's just a niche. It's a rare specialty. Everybody wants construction insurance, but there's very little friendly, easy to understand education about construction insurance. It's all this uh, uh, as my father-in-law would say, it's all this highfalutin insurance risk management institute mm-hmm. stuff, ERMI level stuff. And it, I have to take that stuff and I have to learn it for what I do. But that doesn't mean uh, it's a great way of um, sharing information with the end user, right? Yeah. And I think that the end user needs a good look under the hood because uh, I don't think the insurance industry is 100% transparent with uh, what they're doing right now. Um, yeah. There are some players that are, of course, but um, I'm finding more exceptions every day that, you know, as the insurance marketplace uh, hardens up, as we like to say, it gets gets difficult. They either jack the premiums up for, for coverage you need, or they eliminate the coverage you need and keep the premiums the same. And right now, it's a terrible place to not know what you're doing as a builder or uh, a trade in buying insurance, because your agent may not be looking for the changes in the policy. Um, and just saying, hey, it's with the same carrier. They wouldn't dare change terms, right? So, yeah. So, what? Yeah, there's so much to learn, and yet you can learn enough. And again, it's about learning the right questions. Uh, I'm, 
Yeah. I'm going to say that I have all the answers, but I, I will say that if you know enough about the answers, you'll know about the questions, especially if you take the tests uh, on my courses. <laughs> okay. <laughs> gotcha. So, so how did you get into this really niche space? Well, um, okay, I'll tell you about my first claim uh, that I ever saw. I was working for a big company called Federated Mutual as a corporate guy, mm -hmm. and I was a trainee. And uh, that meant I got to see all kinds of things, and I was trained on all kinds of things, and uh, underwriting, loss control, association relationships, uh, marketing, of course. And, and then on claims, all I was allowed to see were major claims. And so they'd have these major claims circulating, and this one uh, out of Goshen, Indiana popped up. And the pictures were really weird. There were a bunch of, uh, there was a family of like five and they're all in their underwear. And, you know, I, I don't mean to gross out your audience. Thank God it's a radio show, but I mean, they weren't alive. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, what happened is that this was a plumbing HVAC company that Federated had insured and uh, carbon monoxide poisoning. Okay. So when you get that, you're oh, going to get really warm. Yeah. You take off your clothes and you just fall asleep. And that's what happened. And so I went out on a field visit as a trainee, met with the owner, uh, and uh, he's a good, uh, good man, but it's just devastating what happened to him. At that time, liability insurance did cover uh, pollution, okay, because that's what it was, carbon monoxide is a form of pollution. Mm -hmm. And uh, wow, you know, that made me a, a real believer in construction insurance because it sounds like these guys really need it. And so since then in 89, 90, um, I've always been dedicated. I joined NEHB through the Elkhart, Indiana chapter back in 1992. And uh, I think Gretchen might even still work there if I remember, but I got to know all kinds of people again, association relationships is something I was trained for. And, and uh, then when I moved out to Washington, my wife and I got heavily involved um, she got heavily involved in professional women in building. And then I joined a couple committees and now here I am. Um, and it's kind of where your heart is. If it is, I've believed in housing all my life. I mean, it's just part of what it is. And yeah. it's the only thing we can't ex that we can't, you know, offshore as a country. So here we are, you know, believing in something that's uniquely American, right? Yep. And uh, so I'm, I'm a big believer. That's probably why and how I got involved uh, was through the association relationships that drew me in. I had choices. I've been involved with auto dealerships and petroleum marketers and those kinds of things. But this is where the area of greatest need is and where I can best help. So, Awesome. <clears throat> okay. So did you have any construction background before you started or you just went straight into oh, the insurance right. industry. <laughs> no, no. I've called around uh, as an, an apprentice electrician who gave up after the temperature went up to 95 one day in upper Michigan. <laughs> um, but I know how to, I know how to calculate circuits and all that stuff still these days. I hate plumbing. I know I'm better than to do that. Um, <laughs> no, no, no offense to the plumbers. I, God bless you. I just can't do that job. <laughs> and then I've done roofing and siding uh, many times when I was working my way through college. I'd sell jobs, uh, knocking on homeowners' doors, telling their house looked like crap, and, and then getting a sale one in 10 times. Well, the unfortunate part is when you're successful at that, you run out of labor to, to farm it out to. And you turn around having to get up on the roof. And, you know, I went through all the training as a sales guy too. 
And so, yeah, I've sided done circuits and, and uh, done roofing um, and a fair amount of framework too. But there, you know, I know what I like and don't like about it. So yeah, I've got my hands dirty. Have I been a builder? No, no, that you guys are, uh, yeah, you take a lot of risk. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. So, <laughs> so, uh, but no, I, 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 after I got done with college uh, and got into insurance with my mighty insurance, my, I didn't have an insurance degree, I have an English degree. Um, it, it just was a more natural fit to, mm-hmm. to move forward construction, having some life experience. So that was a great question. Okay. Yeah, it's, I agree with you. I'd rather be an electrician than a plumber, I think. If, uh, <laughs> I had to go back and start over. Yeah. Well, the plumbers know how to make money too. Get, don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. But uh, it's, uh, you know, the air is more than a tingle. I mean, you get a whole floor of water, man. It's a pain in the butt. So, yep. Uh, so, yep. All right. Well, so, uh, Tracy, what do you see are the biggest uh, opportunities for the construction industry today? Well, I thought you were going to ask me what the biggest problems are, which means you already know. Uh, <laughs> Well, I always get the same answer to that question. So, oh, there's so many. I, yeah, we, your show's only so long. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> I think one of the biggest opportunities is where I'm at, which is learning and education. I think there's a generation, a younger generation, the under 40s or roughly thereof, um, they're looking at construction, residential construction, as a business model rather than as a last resort. I think. There's a whole generation of people coming up both through the trades and, and, and as GCs and developers that are really looking at this as something maybe more attractive than building websites or, you know, pulling a W-2, working for the man in a manufacturing capacity. I, I think that mm-hmm. the safety, uh, you know, one of the big strengths is the safety of um, the, the, the housing industry. It will always bounce back. It has to because unless people stop having babies or we stop you know, allowing people into the country or people die a lot quicker, we're going to need more homes. And so the opportunity is, is, Hey, we've got growth. How do you capture that and not overextend yourself? You know, all good things come briefly to an end and then they resume. So it's, you know, how do you safely grow and uh, maximize that growth growth? You know, you're always taught make the hay while the sun shines. Well, if you apply a business model to that, um, I think you'll have huge opportunity. Um, and so learning the business first of business and then applying it to uh, residential construction is, is where it's at. Okay. Interesting. Um, I, I, yeah. yeah. That is a huge opportunity. Construction industry education. That's uh, something I think, uh, and I say this all the time on the show, but um, I just think, you know, for so many years, we've been so focused on construction, construction, construction. And now we're realizing there's there's a business side to it. There's a sales side, a marketing side that we have to t- pay attention to and grow a real business, not just mm-hmm. not just be a guy out there swinging a hammer. You know, um, Gary Hill from the Home Builders Institute? No, I mean, I think I've heard the name and I certainly know the you know, the home builders too. Yeah. I mean, so they're uh, him and um, Brady have done a fantastic job of really taking that organization, which, you know, it's an affiliate uh, of sorts uh, of the NEHP and providing the, the educational resources where needed. I've connected many uh, state associations and, or their, uh, their leaders to HBI 
they, they may have an awareness um, issue to address, but I can tell you they've done a great job of really looking at uh, home building as a business model in addition to the business of home building. And um, I, I think that's a great place to start when you look at that larger, high level uh, business model aspect. Um, and I'd go there long before I'd go to a university or a college that's just talking about it for community credit. So, yeah. Well, how do you see the industry changing over the next 10 to 15 years? Mm, it's going to have to become less dependent on uh, scarcity of labor. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. you know, it's very hard for the trades to find the employees and thereby it's very hard for you as a builder to find the trades to meet your, your needs. There's, that's, a, that's a capacity issue. Education can only go so far. It can ease the problem, but it doesn't fix the problem. Okay, so mm -hmm. I mean, as you know, you're familiar with the state of Iowa and Mike Rowe and how he came and made a big splash. And now they have all these uh, wonderful residentially oriented vocational programs. Um, that's great. And that helps ease the problem. Okay, yeah. but I think we're going to have to, and I know some of my friends in the biz are going to kill me for saying this. I think we're going to have to look at pre assembly, not on a larger degree, but on a component side. Where we can mm -hmm. where we can access labor that's not quite as skilled, put them in a controlled environment, um, and have tighter uh, QA quality assurance in that environment. Yeah. Uh, and then you then you just have to fix the shipping problem. But you know by that time there'll be autonomous trucks. So you know it's it's <laughs> it's about how do we um, provide automation and really on a stick built uh, basis. That's you know, there's some advances in the tools we use, certainly from a safety and a QA point of view, but it doesn't solve the labor problem. It keeps them on the job site and safe. That's beautiful. It makes them a little faster. But I think the next step, as you said, 10 years down the road, we're going to see some componentization um, of this, uh, of the industry, you know, where it can be either low skilled or automated um, to, to, to help accelerate the build speed and minimize the dependence on the, on the skilled labor. It, it's, it's, it's harsh, but uh, you asked. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think you're, you're dead on. I mean, I think price wise, pricing wise, affordability wise, I think that has to happen to, to some extent or another, whether that's on site, you know, uh, whether that's 3D printing or some other type mm -hmm. of automated building system on site, or it's got to be off site, and off site certainly going to help manage risks and control risks a whole lot better than something on site, probably. Yeah, I agree. And there's more risks than what you buy insurance for. I mean, supply chain risk really reared its ugly head. Um, you know, I've got builders yes, right has. now that we, you know, we form insurance companies for them, and and um, mitigate some of that through the insurance companies we form but that's these are larger builders um that uh have the bucks to do that kind of thing uh if so in other words they're self-insuring or what does that mean they're forming an insurance self-insuring is when you just basically take risk with your operational cash when you form a captive insurer Okay, that's that magic word that's typically abused as a piggy bank. But when you actually form a legitimate captive insurer that takes real risk, um, mm -hmm. it is intended to pay claims for risks that are maybe more business model risks uh, in addition to commercial risks that become unreasonable. Supply chain risk is a great example, okay? 
So if you have a builder who's gone from say 300 homes a quarter down to 50 homes a quarter because they can't get a hold of toilets and no one's buying homes without toilets, what's the impact of that 250 homes? What's the profit loss on that? That's how you turn in a claim, okay? To this thing that you pre-funded over the years. Um, and you know, a lot of people don't know this, but you know, you, you pay insurance premiums, they're tax deductible, right? Yeah. It's a tax deductible yeah. okay. expense. No, yeah, commercial, it's a, it's commercial insurance are right? tax deductible. Okay. Did you know that mm -hmm. when you make a claim and get those claims back, okay, say you you crash a car, you don't have to pay taxes on the claims dollars. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if you look at that, it's like uh, you know, very efficient when you look at uh, commercial insurance. If you have to use it, at least they're not taxing the money uh, coming in. Well, the same thing applies to captive insurers. So sometimes tucking that money away in a, in a proper insurance company, um, as opposed to just setting the money aside inside your operations, it provides some real efficiency. And it certainly makes sure that you have liquidity when you need it most. Um, right now, uh, the industry gets low interest money, but it's pretty tight money. I mean, the banks ask for a lot, right? I mean, they're not yeah. they're not giving you open lines of credit with without your signature anymore. Uh, and and so, if you're able to obtain the credit, you have access to cheap money, but not necessarily as much as you might want, right? That's why yeah. you got to yeah. tuck money away in advance. That's what insurance is all about. Because the banks, as we learned in 08, maybe not so much. <laughs> they are not always there for us, okay? Right. And uh, so there's a lot of business model risks that we can um, work with as well. And that's why, again, it's about risk management strategy. How do we educate everybody to what's out there? The first step, of course, is what can everybody buy and what are the right questions? When you move further up into the levels of residential construction, there's so many more options and you have to work with people that look at everything, not just what they have. And I think that's the more important lesson um, for, for the industry. That was back to insurance. So I'm sorry, you were talking about the industry and I tend to veer toward insurance. My apologies. That's all right. Well, that's, that's an interesting idea. So you're essentially, you're, you're paying into something, you're deducting the taxes from it. And then if you ever need that money because of a supply chain issue or whatever the different defined risks are that you're taking and with the business, you're able to basically recoup that money from yourself, from your past savings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Again, it's assuming a proper insurance company. It's, yeah. There's a lot of improper insurance companies that are out there being scrutinized by the IRS. They're called 831Bs. Uh, some of them are legit, but many of them don't operate anything more than as a piggy bank. And you don't want that. You need, you need insurance companies are there to pay claims, okay? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it would be just like uh, a savings account. And you can't do that. You have to have legitimacy and it has to integrate with your, your commercial insurance. So, so that's, a, that's essentially the idea though, right? Is it's a tax-free or a tax-deductible savings account that you're putting money into, but you have to, you're saying it's, it's not that easy. You no, it's not that easy right. at all. That, that's the point. It's, many people advertise it as a tax-deductible savings account. It's not. Uh, it's an insurance company. That means it has its own separation. You, you can't run your own insurance company, for example. It's, that's verboten. I mean, you have to take on risk from others than yourself. I mean, there's a bunch of checkboxes here that uh, the IRS uses. 
but it's also just plain good business sense to think about risk. For example, you're a home builder, right? You got Sorry. warranty. You're a home builder, right? Yeah. So you got warranty risk, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. A lot of people dump warranty risk into their captive, just as an example, if you're big enough. Now, mm-hmm. you know, the, the question you're going to ask me is, how big do you have to be? I always tell people, if you're a builder, maybe north of 50 million in sales, then you can start thinking about this kind of stuff. It'll okay. make sense. Okay. Most of us really have to work on uh, how we buy the regular insurance, uh, both from a coverage point of view and a, and a premium efficiency point of view first. So mm-hmm. that's our first step. And then once you've really optimized that along with the uh, transfer of risk to your vendors so that you can take on more risk yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and you're educated and you get that big, then you're ready. Um, and it's kind of a whole different world. And I think the whole building industry is, is beginning to discover um, not only what they can do with the commercial insurance, but they're exploring what they could do if they pooled their resources. And I think that's part of what we, what we like to see. Okay. Interesting. That's great. Well, Tracy, what is the best advice you've ever received professionally? Hmm. You know what? Um, I'm going to get personal here. Okay. Okay. Because in 2017, um, my dad was passing away. He had a bad smoking habit that turned into cancer and he was tired of living anyway. And um, the last day I saw him, I, I was saying goodbye and he said, Tracy, and he grabbed me feebly with his arm and he says, I want you to know one thing. He says, you're very confident in yourself, but sometimes you sell yourself short. So always go big. Uh, that was good advice. Yeah. And uh, it's changed my perspective from treading water, getting by, making people happy to uh, a bigger vision of I'm tired of treading water. I got to complete the lap. I got to complete the race. Uh, you know, no more unfinished business. Let's get this done. Yeah. So took me a while, but I listened to my dad. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. So. Wow. Well, who have you learned the most from throughout your career? Mm, who or what? Um, I've learned more through my involvement with NEHB, okay, as to how my career applies to the people who buy the policies I'm a part of, okay? Mm. Um, it's a bit twisted, but I think that a lot of insurance people uh, understand in the abstract and maybe they've experienced a few claims, but when you start seeing through involvement at a, a larger level, whether at the state association or local level or at the national level, the impact of your thinking, your decisions, your industry on another industry, you learn a ton. And again, it's, I'm a slow learner, as I just mentioned. It took me a while since I've joined in 1992 to be where, where I understand what I do now. But uh, that's where I've, or whom I've learned the most from is that organization. Is there an individual I can call a mentor? Not necessarily uh, as much so any individual in my industry in terms of life. Um, um, a fellow named Bob Lovely uh, was my rotary, Rotarian mentor. 
hmm. uh, and taught me a lot about uh, uh, getting things done, mutual respect, uh, philanthropy, uh, communications, and more. So, um, but uh, that that might answer your question. I'm, try, I'm not trying to avoid any, anything, but I look at the insurance industry and. I've had people that taught me little things here and there, but it's more so in the aggregate um, that I know what I do. Yeah. So. Okay. Awesome. Um, well, if you could go back to that first in construction industry insurance claim that you've processed, mm-hmm. what kind of advice would you give yourself? Well, I've actually acted on it. Um, so that kind of claim has haunted me. Uh, my whole career. Uh, I had a, a claim that went bad uh, and I'm happy to volunteer this. People can reference it on the internet. Uh, I was a defendant in the Washington Supreme Court, Washington State Supreme Court. Huh. I was right uh, in what I did and how I did it. And so I was excused early without any repercussions. And, and the case though, because I made a certain point in the case, went all the way up to the Supreme Court. It's the point I made I want to draw attention to because it was an allegation of asphyxiation from CO poisoning. Okay. So just same, Mm -hmm. same type of thing. And I was being deposed by an attorney. Nothing you ever want to do, by the way. I'm sitting (laughs) in front of an attorney for eight hours with a half hour lunch break, getting grilled. And, And this little Irishman was a pain in my butt, but that's his job. He's working for the client, so I don't blame him. It's just his style points. His bedside manner was really poor. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I put something in his craw that kind of bit him in the butt for a while, which was, hey, listen, uh, everybody has a pollution exclusion. And at this time, this was 2004 or 2005 when the policy was sold. And it was right in the early 2000s that it became commonplace for this pollution exclusion and absolute pollution exclusion to be a part of everybody's policy, whether you're buying from Hartford or, or some uh, excess and surplus line carrier, it doesn't matter. It's just part of what it is. Mm-hmm. And carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide are EPA listed pollutants. So if you are in the residential construction industry and you don't have a separate pollution policy, this will bite you in the butt because it's not covered. Hmm. Okay. So that's one lesson from that first story that carried forward. Uh, <laughs> I really didn't enjoy the experience, but yeah. uh, my firm educates to and advocates. You, you want to get rid of that risk. Um, it, yeah. It's not just from a, can you afford to pay for the death? It's a, do you have the expertise to handle environmental liability point of view too? So. Sure. So you asked. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Great, great advice. So. Okay. Well, Tracy, how can people learn more about NWC Alliance and, and Fire? see more of what you're doing? Uh, NWCAlliance.com is a very uh, large website. I apologize for the amount of material on there, but you can usually find what you need. Uh, and then the in-depth uh, education people will be able to sign up for if you're an agent is at bmfce.com and if you're a builder contractor or developer you can go to sire learning that's c-i-r-e construction insurance risk education learning.com or .org and uh, you can 
learn more about it, and you'll actually be able to start signing up for classes by the end of July. Okay. Wow, that's fantastic. So that's a new program you're rolling out. Brand new to both industries. Uh, and that's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get the ABCD, the agents, builders, contractors, and developers on the same page, knowing the right questions about the basics of commercial insurance. And um, you're all about mentorship, and I think this fits it real well. Um, and then yeah. upon completion of the course, there is a SIRE certification. And uh, I've already talked to some insurance carriers that will give preference to a SIRE certified builder, contractor, or developer. So that's wow. a big deal. Well, you're going to be an educated buyer. How many builders or contractors go off some ad in Facebook and buy their liability insurance off their phone? Yeah. Okay. A lot. <laughs> yeah, it's all about whatever's the simplest, easiest way to do it, right? And, and well, who's the cheapest? Yeah, yeah. And, and those carriers aren't going to want SIRA certified builders because they're probably shorting you on coverage if they're going to give you that kind of convenience. Yeah. I've, got a, I've got a little picture model your audience can use real easy to understand the insurance industry. Real easy, okay? Mm -hmm. You draw an equilateral triangle, right? And at that top corner, you put price, okay? Mm -hmm. And the lower left corner, you put coverage. And then on the lower right corner, you put ease of use, right? Yeah. Okay. Here's how it goes. You can put a dot anywhere inside that triangle, and that's your insurance. Mm-hmm. Okay. That usually, when you visualize it, you go, oh, I can't. And I can simply say the educated builder, contractor, developer can get two out of three rather than just one. Yeah. You can violate the triangle if you're educated, but that's that's the model that everybody uses in my industry. You don't get, but to put the dot in that triangle. Yeah, yeah, that makes all the sense of the world. It's uh, you know, my mom taught me that lesson. Buying my first car, it's it's about price, quality, and time. If you got time, you can get the right price and the right quality. Mm -hmm. If you don't have time and you need to buy something right away. You got to sacrifice either pay more or, or get lower quality. So yeah, your mom's a wise woman. <laughs> same, same thing with insurance, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> I bought a, a car during the pandemic um, and I was really not happy about the process. Everybody wanted me to come into their shop. I'm like, did you know we've got a little problem going on? Nobody <laughs> listened to me. He said, well, you're going to have to come here to pick up the car anyway. I said, you don't deliver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah that was fun <laughs> i'd rather buy insurance yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah all right well tracy thank you so much i really appreciate you sharing your your experience with us ben you're very welcome and uh, i enjoyed your questions and thank you very much for inviting me onto your show yes sir thank you thanks for listening i hope that you've learned something from our guest today the Ben Beard Show is sponsored by Redcliffe Homes. The purpose of this podcast is to help young professionals find mentors in this crazy construction industry that we're in. If you have a story to tell about your road to a successful career in construction, I'd love to hear it. Please like and subscribe to the podcast to hear from all of our amazing guests. Join us on Facebook and Instagram at The Ben Beard Show.